Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website and find out more. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is NaplesIllustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob has been a guest on the show since the very beginning. He is a constitutional scholar, good friend, and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about Supreme Court decisions that may have subverted the Constitution, especially since the New Deal. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of his latest book. Uh, he's written seven books, but his latest is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. It is April the 8th, and on this day in 1945, one of my heroes, uh, I've read the book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran pastor and a theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was hung at Flossenburg only days before the American liberation of the prisoner of war camp. The last words of the brilliant and courageous 39-year-old opponent of Nazism were, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. This is the end. And then hyphen, for me, the beginning of life. Two days after Adolf Hitler became, became Chancellor of Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a lecturer at Berlin University, took to the radio and denounced the Nazi uh, leader, the leadership principle that was merely a synonym for dictatorship. His broadcast was cut off before he could finish. Shortly thereafter, he moved to London to uh, pastor a German congregation while also giving support to the confessing church movement in Germany, a declaration by Lutheran and evangelical pastors and theologians that they would not have their churches co-opted by the Nazi government for propagandistic uh, purposes. He returned to Germany in 1935 to run a seminary for the confessing church, <coughs> the government <coughs> Closed it in 1937, Bonhoeffer continued vocal objections to Nazis' policies and resulted in his losing his freedom to lecture or publish the uh, German resistance movement. Even the plot to assassinate Hitler, he was uh, one of a small group that participated in that, you may recall, uh, in, in uh, April 1943. Shortly after becoming engaged to be married, Bonhoeffer was arrested by the Gestapo. Evidence implicating him in the plot to overthrow the government came to light, and he was court-martialed and sentenced to die. While in prison, he acted as a counselor and pastor to prisoners of all denominations. His letters and papers from prison was published posthumously. Among his celebrated works of theology are The Cost of Discipleship and Ethics. Um, he actually uh, was responsible, one of the few that was responsible for that bomb that went off. The gov and the uh, Fuhrer walked behind his desk and was protected from what would have killed him. But uh, just imagine this, the ethics, the whole decision of a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, making the decision to do that. Amazing man uh, and a true hero died at age 39 on this day, just a few days before he would have been liberated from prison. Well, in Collier County, 271 have tested positive for COVID-19. 
That, according to the evening advisory from the health department, three people have died from coronavirus in Collier County. Now, it was a 94-year-old woman with travel history to Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands and Florida, 61-year-old man with travel history to Haiti and Mexico in contact with confirmed COVID-19 patient, and a 73-year-old man. Uh, the people in Florida who have known to be infected with the, news, uh, with the new coronavirus visited at least 46 states and traveled to every continent except Antarctica in the weeks before it being tested for COVID-19. Uh, Travel-related cases dominated the test results in early March when the virus went, was first identified in Florida. They become a similar share of total number of cases as the virus spreads throughout communities. Uh, the cause of death, for some of these people, I'm sure it's COVID-19. Uh, my in-laws, both who have deceased, uh, their reason for death was listed on their death certificates as Alzheimer's, and neither had it. It just makes me wonder if uh, perhaps an easy way out for some people is just list the cause of death as COVID-19. I don't know. Certainly the cause may be diet and other uh, maladies. Uh, diabetes and so forth all I think sometimes we list the cause of death as a reason for, uh, coming from COVID-19 let's say but it may be just the past history of pe how people have lived and sustained themselves through their lives well a big rally on Wall Street suddenly vanished Tuesday under undercut in part by a large plunge in price the price of oil as the futures you may recall started off at uh, 900 the Dow Jones Industrial Average futures at 900. Well, that all went away. It ended up the Dow Jones Industrial Average ended up down yesterday. Futures are up right now a little bit, uh, like 50, 75 points. I'm talking about the Dow as an indicator. But who knows where the market will go today? Investors were beginning to look and say, hey, we can see light at the end of the tunnel. Well, maybe that light was across the pasture, and there's a lot of snakes in the, pa <laughs> in the pasture because... Uh, investors become freaked. They don't know which way this is all going to go, and uh, there are deep problems in uh, our economy. Well, after arriving in the United States, the Soviet dissenter Alexander Solzhenitsyn was surprised to find that the Western press was so unified in thought. In 1978 Harvard commencement speech, Solzhenitsyn observed, one gradually discovers a common thread of preferences within the Western press as a whole. It is a fashion there are generally accepted patterns of judgment, there may be common corporate interests, the sum effect being not competition but unification. Enormous freedom exists for the press, but not for the readership, because newspapers for mostly develop stress and emphasis to those opinions which do not openly contradict their own and generally tr and the general trend. Solzhenitsyn was right. Look no further than the White House press briefings on coronavirus, and you'll find press flunkies parroting the same talking points in unison. What began as an earnest attempt to inform the public quickly devolved into an attempt by reporters, quote-unquote, to produce gotcha sound bites in journalism. Petulant journalists, uh, and I say that, tongue-in-cheek, begin questions with leading statements to misinform Americans. Others clash with the president over whether the term Chinese virus was racist or not. When President Trump's amusing rebuttals pushed the president's poll numbers north, the media called for briefings to end. Usually the press wants more access to the president because they want more answers. Not in the case of Trump. It's a fashionable trend right now, according to Solzhenitsyn, that shut off successful development. The media's politically charged questions get political answers. Meanwhile, information about COVID-19 becomes scarce. CNN anchor, uh, for example, Jake Tapper, 
retweeted a comment by uh, perpetual presidential critic George Conway. Of course, he's the husband of uh, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> I've forgotten her name, Kellyanne Conway, that's it. Anyway, he called the comment noteworthy. He said uh, President Sh Trump was insane in this tweet. And then uh, Tapper said, well, this is noteworthy in, an, in another tweet. He later noted that he did not necessarily agree with Connolly, only that he, uh, the tweet was, quote-unquote, newsworthy. Uh, CNN, of course, has faced a criticism for cutting away from the briefings and for the annex of White House correspondent Jim Acosta. You may recall that uh, President Trump asked a reporter on April 6th in the press conference if she is working for the government of China following a ho hostile question. She replied that her company, Phoenix Media, is privately owned. Well, it's not. It's owned, it's owned by the Chinese government, the uh, Communist Party. So uh, it's just now the question I have is why are we allowing her, this correspondent who is obviously working for a propaganda outlet, why is she in the press room and uh, people from one news media are not? So the, there are a lot of questions about the press. I bring this only. Uh, I bring this up because. Uh, this might be a time for change. Something good might come out of this. U.S. journalists working across more than a thousand local newspapers and other publications are facing cuts due to the economic hit that their employers have taken. I don't know about you, but we can still get the Naples Daily News on the weekend, and it's just a few pages and there's nothing in it, including ads. Uh, the advertising is cutting back, and that's the problem they have. An investigation by Press Gazette. Uh, found that uh, hundreds of titles, mainly local newspapers, have already had to reduce their costs through publication suspensions, pay reductions, layoffs, and so forth. So there's there's going to be a lot of turmoil in the news business. There is hope. I have hope that what emerges from this is perhaps uh, perhaps looking in the mirror and some of these journalists beginning to understand they have a role to play, and perhaps we can reconstruct the news business in a more uh, honest. Uh, and less deceitful way, in less political way, uh, because some of these uh, companies are going to go out of business. They're not going to be able to survive this. Uh, this coronavirus is hurting a lot of organizations. It could help transform organizations as well. And by the way, uh, yesterday the president slammed the World Health Organization for its China-centric views, adding that the Global Health Agency's projections and pronouncements about the coronavirus pandemic have been routinely wrong. I think what this may all lead to is, are we going to continue to fund the World Health Organization? I don't think we should. Uh, we pay $513 million to the WHO, the World Health Organization. We should perhaps take another look at that. And while we're looking at it, let's look at the UN, too. Why are we putting all that money into an organization that's obviously hostile to the United States? This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Well, not this season. It's been canceled but uh, because of coronavirus. But do find out more, especially about next season, New Works Festival, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he's a good friend. He's also a constitutional scholar. Got a great background. I wish I could tell you the whole thing. And uh, he's uh, the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., operating remotely like the rest of the world. Mm. And we focus on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, dot. Org, O-R-G, on the web. Cato.org is, is the website. So, Bob, we started our, cons- our conversation about whether, asking the question, whether the Supreme Court has subverted the Constitution, especially since the New Deal, and uh, certainly the evidence is leaning in that direction. So um, let's talk a little bit about campaign finance reform, Bob, if we could. And I'm scrolling up. I didn't do it before, so I'm buying time. <laughs> <laughs> but it's up here someplace. Here we go. Okay. So 
campaign re uh, finance reform, most Democrats and even Republicans seem fixated once again on uh, too much money in politics, despite the failed efforts of uh, Steyer and Bloomberg. They put their fortunes in, in the campaign. It didn't fare well. The reformers still can't get over the Supreme Court's 2010 decision in Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission. Uh, quite frankly, I couldn't even tell you about that decision. So give us some background on the Citizens United case and how it came about. Well, the, the campaign finance reformers had this uh, quixotic idea that money and elections shouldn't mix, and so they passed uh, the McCain-Feingold Act. That was back in 2002, and we know how well that worked because six years later in the 2008 presidential election, more money was spent than any election in the history of the universe. Mm. So McCain-Feingold ultimately became BICRA, B-C-R-A, the Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act. Uh, which the Supreme Court, from my perspective, inexplicably upheld in a case called McConnell versus FEC, where McConnell was Mitch McConnell, the uh, Senate leader. So the court decided that political expression, which is what campaigns are all about, mm. receives less protection, less under the First Amendment, than, for example, Klan speech or pornography or flag burning each of those is constitutionally protected, as they should be. But if a corporation, let's say Random House, published a book, and somewhere in the book it said, vote for Obama or vote against Trump, anywhere in the book, mm -hmm. the entire book could be banned. So that's under McCain-Feingold. So we're not supposed to be about banning books mm -hmm. in America. And that's why the court took on this follow-up case called uh, Citizens United versus FEC, Federal Election Commission. So what did Citizens United say that was so controversial? Well, the court uh, <clears throat> in 2010, 5-4, uh, Kennedy wrote the opinion, overturned McCain-Feingold's two worst restrictions on corporate and union political expression. One, no publication can expressly say vote or for, uh, vote for or against uh, an identified candidate. And number two, no broadcast ad could even name a candidate. You didn't have to say vote for or against. You couldn't even name a candidate within 60 days of a general election or 30 days of a primary. So S Citizens United was about something called Hillary, the movie. It was critical of Hillary Clinton who was then a candidate. Mm -hmm. And the, the law said it was okay to show the movie in theaters. You could even sell it on TV, DVDs. But you couldn't run any TV ads and no on-demand cable viewing. You couldn't even tell anybody that the movie was available to be seen in the, in the theaters or to be bought on DVDs. So Kennedy, again, 5-4, correctly recognized that you know, corporations and unions don't speak with one voice. Corporations often favor policies that unions oppose. So it's not like everybody's weighing in on one side of an issue. Even within the corporate community, you know, you had Walmart was a big advocate for Obamacare. Whole Foods was a big advocate against Obamacare. Mm -hmm. The rule is that individuals should be free to associate and pool their resources to express themselves as they wish, whether it's individually or through a union or a corporation or a partnership 
or even a club. So under the new rules, after the Citizens United case, corporations and unions still cannot contribute money directly to candidates. But what they can do is they can independently pay for an ad as long as it's not coordinated with the candidate and the ad can be broadcast without restriction. Hmm. That was the ruling in Citizens United. Wow, that's so interesting. And parenthetically, uh, Hillary's America was a great, I think that was Denise D'Souza, if I'm not, I'm not mistaken. It was a great uh, documentary, if I'm not mistaken. Now, so if the issues are so clear, then why did it take the Supreme Court eight years to revisit McCain-Feingold? Well, I, I think the court was either unable or unwilling to grasp, but, you know, a pretty basic notion, and that is that uh, politics is essentially a bargain. Uh, between the candidate on the one hand and the voters on the other. And and when a candidate uh, promises to pursue an agenda that a voter favors, it, it shouldn't matter constitutionally uh, whether the, vote, the, the return promise is, uh, from the voter is either I'll vote for you or I'll try to convince my friends to vote for you or... I'll write letters to the editor in support of your candidacy, or I'll pay for an ad that supports you, or even I'll donate money to you so you can pay for your own ad. Right. None of that should matter constitutionally. And it shouldn't matter if the candidate's end of the bargain includes a, a commitment to meet with the voter or listen to the voter's views or even to put it crassly to give the voter access and influence because each of those acts has the same end, and that is getting the candidate elected. And each of them operates through the, the same means, which basically is political speech. And this exchange of speech, on the one hand, for promises by the candidate if he's elected, that's not corruption. That's the way democracy works. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. That brings up the notion of quid pro quo. Which exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. So are there any campaign contributions or expenditures in, view, in your view that should uh, be illegal? Sure. Uh, first, if you misuse your government office, like favoring a donor who's seeking government contracts, uh, that, that breaches uh, an official's fiduciary responsibility to his to his constituents, and I think second, if you, if there are payoffs to a candidate that are secretly contributed and then spent on something that has nothing to do with the campaign, like a new car, that that of course should be illegal. But when a candidate fully discloses a donation and puts the money in a segregated fund, that's what the law requires now, and that fund can only be used uh, for constitutionally favored political expression. That, I don't think, is corruption. And the First Amendment is not a loophole. It does not allow treating political advocacy the same way you would treat a bribe. And yet that's what the court initially did in the first case, McConnell versus FEC, and finally overturned it in the second case, uh, Citizens United. So much more to discuss regarding this uh, issue, Bob. Uh, again, Bob Levy, the chairman of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, very refreshing, actually, to talk about policy as opposed to politics for a change. <laughs> I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you. Stay healthy, Bob. You as well. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pick-up curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They create policies and programs, among other things, that get people off of welfare and back to work. Very important mission, especially after this coronavirus episode. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, Andy, uh, let's, let's just start off with the general topic of coronavirus and how it's being handled right now. What are your thoughts? Well, it has so many implications. Let me yeah, I'm teaching three classes online right now, 62 students. You know, how do I handle a situation when a student contacts me by email in the course and suggests because of coronavirus problems he's not able or she's not able to do their assignments? Uh, and that's happened multiple times so far in the course. So uh, it, it's restricting how I can evaluate a student, and, and it gives them the flexibility to dodge the academic bullets and just just a personal problem I'm dealing with right now, and I'm sure there are millions of countless other situations of a comparable type. Uh, I would like to discuss, I, I've taught him in my long teaching career, uh, macro and microeconomics, and uh, although it's been alluded to, I, I think there's a, uh, a failure to understand
understand what economics is all about. Uh-huh. Uh, it's constantly presented to us that we must make a decision between saving lives and uh, opening up the economy. Uh, actually, economics is a, a liberal arts subject. It's taught in the humanities. And, and the reason that is, Bob, is because economics is the, uh, the study of how civilizations, how societies uh, satisfy the needs, both biologically and psychologically, of the people in those societies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's for their food supplies, their health care, their, uh, their fuel, the quality of their lives, their futures. Uh, almost everything is a derivative. And I would suggest, without, with little fear of being wrong, that if we permanently damage this economy, throw it into second or third world status, that we will lose far more lives than could ever be lost with the, with the COVID-19 virus. So I think we have to understand, and the American people have to begin to understand, exactly what economic success means mm-hmm. and the value derived, not only in, in, the, in the luxuries of life, but perhaps more so in the necessities of life, the quality of life and actually life itself Bob. so I, I just wanted to reinforce that point I think it's such an important point and uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, it, 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 ec- economics is not just something out there right now it affects all of us in such important ways running water electricity I mean there's so many things that are and it's such a slippery slope right now this economy could slip into depression so quickly if we don't pay attention to not only the health risks through coronavirus but through the economic disaster that we could be facing if we don't uh, respond somehow. It's alluded to, but I, I don't think it's being given the appropriate level of concern. I, I think we believe, for example, that FDR got us out of the, uh, the Great Depression. He came into office in 1932. By 1940, the end of his second term, uh, all of the economic numbers were, were, were at a, a lesser point, a weaker point, than they were when he came in in 1932. Right. So FDR didn't get us out of the Depression. Even the Second World War didn't give it, get us out of the Depression. It took really the returning GIs from World War II to really uh, stimulate the, the economic process of America. So the point I'm making, Bob, is that uh, once you're in a Depression, it is not easily extracted from uh, and I think we have to understand that if you get there, you just don't uh, snap your fingers or, or you know, uh, pull some fancy economic move. Uh, you will be in that depression for an extended period of time. This sort of highlights uh, a psychological feeling of mine, Bob. I, <clears throat> you probably had the experience of, of buying a new car. You love it. You, uh, you, you go out and look at it every day, and then you get a little bumper crumper. Somebody taps your, your left rear fender, and all of a sudden, that car seems to lose a lot of its value, you, that psychological implication, the right. value of it. I, right now, I'm looking at America, and I'm saying this America that I, I have loved my entire life uh, has shown such essential flaws that at this moment, Bob, and I'm speaking for myself, obviously, but it, it, it's, it's damaged the psychological implication of America. We, we willingly sacrificed uh, most of our constitutional freedoms, if not at the federal level, to the state level and local governments, uh, our security has has been compromised dramatically. Uh, politics has become more manifest as a uh, as something with no concern for the quality of life in America. And as far as I can tell, Bob, uh, fear has become our most essential value. Now, all of this might be restored as time goes on, but it, but at this moment, I can see an essentially flawed country that I never understood existed before this moment. Before I I conclude, let me just talk about security. 
no one knows the origin of the COVID-19 virus. It, it may have been intentional. It may have been unintentional, regardless of which of how you feel about that particular issue. What our adversaries have learned is that with all the nuclear air power, aircraft carriers, nuclear-powered submarines, F-35s, it doesn't matter. All they would have to release on America is a pandemic similar to COVID-19, right. and they could totally or nearly totally destroy this country. So the security aspect has been deeply compromised by what I see as an adversarial awareness of the vulnerability of this country to something such as COVID-19. So, uh, and again, I'm speaking obviously for myself, and uh, I don't know if anyone else feels the same way, but right now the bloom is off the rose, so to speak. Bob, right. I, I hope it can come back. Well, uh, I'll share a uh Another view. I mean, right now, I think you've heard the boiled frog theory and how we've allowed slowly but surely to have uh, socialism creep into our system, and uh, we just don't pay attention because it's happening so slowly. The boiled frog, so to speak. Well, things are happening quickly right now, and we're. I think I see countervailing forces like people from uh, going out in record numbers and buying guns for self-protection, for example. Uh, I think it, this whole thing is beginning to bring to. Uh, uh, boil, uh, to, to to burst the boil as people are beginning to see the forces that are opposing right now. Uh, the president, I think, is providing outstanding leadership, being attacked by the press all the time, but uh, he, he just continues, I think, to provide outstanding leadership. I think people, people are beginning to respect that. I, I think I have to differentiate, and I think everyone has to differentiate between those things coming out of leadership other than Donald Trump mm -hmm. and the American people themselves. I think, excuse me, but we can see uh, how the American people perhaps feel about this. There was a significant turnout at the polls last night or yesterday uh, in Wisconsin. Right. So the American people pushed this all aside and they showed up. Right. Because I don't think the essential fears that are being presented to us by, uh, by Drs. Fauci and Burks uh, are the ones that are being held by most Americans. Right. Uh, so I think there's a significant uh, uh, difference between uh, the story that's being presented to us from the, not the medical community, but the scientific community. For example, Fauci suffers, uh, uh, exists primarily as a scientist, calling, for example, for uh, clinical trials with, uh, uh, with uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine. Um, clinical trials, Bob, as we all know, take years and years and years. And yet you have a drug, uh, hydroxychloroquine, uh, that uh, has been fairly well documented as working in China. Uh, in France, you have uh, Dr. Didier Riault, uh, has thousands of patients where it worked. Uh, almost no one who has lupus, who has been receiving this drug, has been getting the COVID-19. Right. And yet, you have this significant pushback against it, uh, and you have the ongoing attack on Donald Trump for even alluding to the possibility of the value of this. So it seems to me, Bob, that we can, we can look at the American media, we can look at much of the American medical community. They're not functioning in a rational model. A rational model to me is comprehensive. Right. It understands the total implications of a decision. Uh, Fauci does not, Burks does not. As far as I can tell, the only public voice that truly understands that is Donald Trump. Well, you know what, I, you know, we need to take a break right now. So, Andy, I just genuinely appreciate this commentary right now. I have so many other things I'd like to discuss with you. Can you stick around? I will be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road. And it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Cuyahoga County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House food pantry and grocery distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, we continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. So, I mean, right now, I think you alluded to the fact, and I, I believe that absolutely what's driving this country right now, uh, for most people, is fear. People have a tremendous fear of death, of getting sick, of uh, losing economic, all the things, losing their jobs, losing income. Any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think we're dealing with something that might fall into the category of the laws of large numbers. And uh, I think large numbers have to be understood. They sound profound. I remember back in 1991, where in New York City, uh, they published a report that uh, the incident of heterosexual AIDS had increased by 300 percent, Bob. Yeah. Uh, and my gosh, that's, that sounds incredible. Of course, the cases went from two to six. Uh, <laughs> so if you talk about real numbers, they, they had very little uh, actual meaning. Right. If we look at uh, COVID-19 at, at this point, less than one percent, less than one percent of, of Americans uh, have uh, an active case of, of COVID-19, less than 0.003 percent, three one thousandths of a percent uh, have died. Now, 
any death, you know, the ob- obligatory mark is any death is unacceptable. On the other hand, if we look at, for example, per month, Bob, 54,000 deaths per- from heart disease each month, 50,000 from cancer, 14,000 from asthma, 12,000 from stroke, 10,000 from Alzheimer's, and the list goes on, 157,000 deaths each month uh, through causes that, uh, that are obviously known but not given any real weight in the discussion. And here we have a, a circumstance, COVID-19, uh, which all the models predicted uh, from 2,200,000. Now those models are dropping down to 20,000. The models have not taken into account the, uh, the reasonable variables that, that exist in this situation. And, and I would add, Bob, that this uh, idea of of eliminating the crest of the disease, although I understand as it pertains to the availability of ventilators. Eliminating that crest will extend the longevity of the disease. And if we listen to Dr. Fauci, who has been suggesting that we have to close this economy down for periods as long as 18 months, and God forbid that ever happened, uh, I think we're looking at a total disaster to this economy. So death can't be easily accepted. On the, under, on the other hand, it is the normalcy of life, birth and death, perhaps taxes. But again, we're looking at the normalcy of lives, and the COVID-19 has not meaningfully made a dent in the monthly death figures, death, death figures of America. Uh, I absolutely agree with that. And I also suggest that uh, what we're finding out is the people that have pre-conditions, pre-existing conditions, uh, diabetes, you can go through the list, heart disease and so forth, are the ones that are most vulnerable to dying. I would suggest also, uh, my in-laws, I mentioned this on the show earlier, but my in-laws, both deceased, on their death certificates, the coroner listed the, the reason for death, Alzheimer's. Neither of them had Alzheimer's. So uh, it just makes me wonder, uh, you know, the easy thing for any coroner to do is say, well, the cause of death, COVID-19, and maybe they had it, but certainly it may not have been the cause of death. It may have been the heart, the pre-existing condition that killed them. The three people in uh, Naples that have died are in in Collier County. One is 94 years of age. I mean, that's (laughs) that's a long life. (laughs) They're they're not differentiating between dying with coronavirus uh, a virus right. as compared to dying from coronavirus, right. exactly. and that's that's the point you're making. Yes. Uh, so I think we we can see we can see that happening. Um, it's it's hard to say what uh, what lies ahead. Um, I'm optimistic that the economy will open up at least to a reasonable degree by the end of April. Um, I'm still not convinced that that will happen. I already hear pressures to. Uh, make the economic recovery respond to the the Green New Deal. From what I understand, uh, uh, atmospheric carbon has been reduced during the period of of COVID-19 by 25% uh, due to the uh, minimization of air travel and automobile travel and so forth. Uh, So there's a lot of people who are pushing to have these uh, aspects of restricted uh, uh, activity incorporated into the economic recovery. So um, I don't look forward to that. We can also uh, hear the uh, the attacks on Trump growing because the, the number of African Americans dying from this is disproportionate to their population. Um, and again, they, they have not taken into account the, any of the variables, for example, the, uh, the inner city um, populations are more vulnerable. Uh, the general quality of health in, in the African-American community is not the same as it is in the larger community. And there's the implication of uh, 
uh, African Americans being genetically resistant to, for example, malaria, more so with the with sickle cell anemia. So perhaps, and it's been suggested even by the uh, 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 Surgeon General, that there may be a genetic propensity for this disease that has not been identified. But of course, the media and all the uh, the Democrat politicians, when they hear some disparity of of, of outcome as it pertains to African Americans, the first thing they do is, of course, uh, accuse Donald Trump of being a racist. Right. The outrageous nature of what they're doing right now in the middle of this uh, of this process is, I, I think, uh, uh, I don't even know how to define it. It's it's macabre. It's uh, it's some one of the most vicious things that I've seen. Before. Absolutely. And if I would, what I would suggest is we all have some responsibility for our personal health, how our diet. Uh, our our lifestyle, how we live, all contributes, and I think daily to how we're going to die. Frankly, and so I think that's really what people, you know, this is this is an, an event right now, a pandemic that we're dealing with. But we can't blame everything on the event. I, for example, and I think I would like to point this out. We both had talked yesterday on the phone. Uh, I'm willing. Uh, I'm an older guy. I'm older folks. I'd be willing for the economy to open up and I'll live with the risk of getting the coronavirus and perhaps uh, even dying as a result of it, uh, rather than having the economy shut down trying to protect me from that death and have us uh, have uh, unintended consequences that could kill us as well. I would say the vast majority of, of we older folks, so to speak, would be more than willing to do that. As you know, one of my blogs, I, I proposed a, a group form called Vulnerables for Freedom. Uh, I sort of uh, did it tongue-in-cheek, but the response has been incredible uh, because I think people of, of our of our age, we, we, we tend to be either from the, the greatest generation, uh, I'm a war baby, I, I don't know how you fall into that equation, uh, even baby boomers, but uh, I think we have a different mindset. It's not because we're closer to death that we're willing to uh, uh, to be uh, uh, riskier. Mm -hmm. uh, it is because we're more knowledgeable, I believe, in terms of understanding how a society works and what America has, has been at its best. And that is an economic system that has enabled average people to have incredible lives, Bob. And to lose that, to give that up, is is such a such a shame, such a, a detriment to the people in this country right now that uh, I don't know if they, the younger people actually appreciate what their lives will become like in a depressed economy. Right. Well, of course, as uh, Mark Twain said, uh, three things for sure, death, birth, death, and taxes. Two things, death and taxes. So we're all going to die. Uh, that, that is a truism. There's no question about that. I think that uh, I think we could both accept our mortality and understand that. Uh, the question is how, and uh, you know, quite frankly, I don't want it to be because of starvation. I'd prefer to ha take the risk of dealing with the with the uh, with the risk. I think of that's a wise choice, Bob. By the way, yeah, absolutely. Andy Joppa, again, a professor at Mercy College. Josepha Savaz is the name of the book that he wrote. It's really a great read-off topic for today's discussion. But Andy, as usual, I genuinely appreciate your extremely informed and stimulating conversation. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's stay healthy, Bob. All right, let's stay healthy indeed. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. The website is thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books, seven books actually. His latest is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks a lot. Uh, Professor, by the way, I started your book uh, about halfway through it. It is scary, first of all, very scary, very informative, and very interesting. I just encourage our readers to uh, take a look at Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Uh, I would suggest somebody tried to steal my identity. In fact, they did steal it. They know my Social Security number. They know where I live. They tried to write a check for a large amount of money to my bank. Uh, I went to the sheriff's office to uh, to write to write a report. He said he'd write a report. They couldn't investigate it, though, because it happens so often. But he did say, hopefully this guy's not a felon because I could end up being stopped on a routine traffic stop and put in jail for felony so it's it's uh, it's just very scary stuff this cyber warfare yes it is and it's it's uh i wrote an article recently about how they we look at the cyber viruses and then we look at the coronavirus and we look at how they operate and uh you know they it's there's such a interesting similarity between hmm. uh you know they're sneaky little rascals. You know they get into your. You know they they the, you know, the coronavirus gets gets into your cell and starts having turning it into a little machine to turn out little little uh, 
um, micro uh, viruses and becomes a factory. The same thing, cyber warfare takes over your computer and turns it into a robot. And so that's, you know, it's it's uh, depressing to talk about this stuff at a time when all of us are, are you know, sequestering ourselves and a lot of people are getting a little bit bored and cabin fever and so on. Uh, it's uh, unfortunate to have to deal with, with, uh, cyber threats at the same time we're talking about bio you know, pandemics. Right. Well, Professor, uh, you wrote your latest column on Newsmax. It's called Divisive Polls Forget That Virus Kills Indiscriminately. I uh, really appreciated your comments. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, you know, the. I think all of us learn from our own personal experiences that tough times bring out you know, the best and worst of us, you find out who your friends are and you find out who they aren't. And, and, uh, same thing happens. I think I was so proud when, you know, when tropical storm Harvey hit Houston, the way, the way everybody reacted and this, this community really made me proud. It brought out, I think just, just so overwhelmingly the good in people and, and the compassion. So it brings out the good, but it also brings out, People who will exploit the opportunities to do so, you know, no crisis is too good to waste or to, you know, and and we're seeing that as well with the politics surrounding, um, you know, the environment we're in right now, and uh, it's it's very upsetting. Uh, I think, however, it's it's made some strange bedfellows where where we see. Uh, uh, Devin Newsom in California, and we see Cuomo in, in New York thanking Trump, and and you see this this cooperation going on now that um, is is really encouraging, and and uh, that's actually rather surprising. Yeah, it is surprising indeed. I, I was, uh, you know, you could see. Uh, Gavin Newsom almost apologizing for complimenting Trump for his response, but he, he basically said, you know, I have no choice because he's he stepped up. He's done everything we've asked and more. I think that Cuomo has exactly the same opinion. My opinion is that President Trump, I mean, I think, I think, and the end of this thing, my hope is that we're going to see a lot of empty beds, a lot of uh, ventilators being sold for $5 online because they're just sitting on shelves. <laughs> my, my guess is there's been just an overreaction to the, to the threat that's been created here and that hopefully soon we'll get back to work. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you worry about the worst case scenarios and, and, and we, we also learn that, uh, you know, the people that do modeling, the models are only as good as the, as the data, you know, it's the, it's the garbage. That's the thing about working at home. You have your dog. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm not sure what she wants. She's been fed. So uh, what more could she want? Maybe uh, to go outside. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we find over and over that that there are people that will you know that will exploit situations to their own benefit and and the media has been you know someone was saying the other day you know when when Trump's attack is attacked it just energizes him and 
But my wife, Nancy, and I are very strong uh, supporters of Trump. We've met him on different occasions, personally, years ago, and not recently, when he, before he was president. We really like him as a person, and uh, but we, you know, we watch these these daily reports that I think are very informative, and you realize that you know information is only as good as as what you have, and uh, right. This has caught everybody off guard, and nobody knows. You know, you're, you're, you're building a house in the middle of a hurricane. You know, Professor, uh, I, I watch every one of these you know, very informative pro, uh, pressers that uh, the President Trump holds. Uh, yes, yesterday was equally informative. And uh, you see these reporters attacking, asking, you know, leading questions, trying to trap them. When is this all going to be over? You've, why didn't you start earlier? All these types of things. It seems to me these presses are really for the American people, and they're sitting there kind of uh, participating. I don't know why, because they're getting in the way of good uh, good information. On, on occasion, a good question is asked, but for the most part, these people are obstructionists. Well, they see it as an opportunity. You know, they, I don't think they've got a lot left to run on, you know, in terms of the, you know, the radical liberals. And, and they, I, and I think secretly they're hoping that I'm not saying they want the country to collapse, but I think they want Trump to collapse, and and basically it becomes the same it becomes the same thing in the middle of a of a of a you know crisis like we're having. So, you know, we get you know we get very upset with the attacks on on the president and what he's trying to do. There's enough of that with the impeachment, right? Which was going on even when uh, Trump you know closed down flights with China. It was he was in the middle of an impeachment, and and it was it was a Tough decision and a very unpopular one, right? Well, and also for uh, f uh, other flights as well, flights to Europe, flights to uh, the, the United Kingdom. He's he's uh, I think provided outstanding leadership. Hopefully, he'll uh, he he's going to be in, in real when he decides to open this up this economy. The very first death and all those that follow afterwards because of coronavirus will be blamed on him. So the media doesn't cut him a break at all. But I think he's doing a great job. Well, it's interesting now. I, I just got the Wall Street Journal this morning. I was reading it before you called, and how we're really watching what happens with the recovery in China. When I say the recovery, I'm talking about people returning to work in Wuhan, and and you know they they had big flashing light ceremony, big color light ceremony about opening the city again. But point of fact, it's not really opened. Uh, the you know they're they're still restricting people from leaving their many of their homes and so on. And uh, and I and I suspect I've got an article coming out next week that they've really been underreporting, you know the you know the you know the the infections and the death rates in China and so on. So yeah, but you know, we we look for we look to the rest of the world for some kind of guidance in terms of how bad is it and and uh, what do we do and 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 when can we recover from this? I think that's on everybody's mind now. When. When is it going to be safe to go to a restaurant again and, you know, get our lives back? Absolutely. Again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of the very interesting, scary, actually, in some ways, cyber warfare targeting America, our infrastructure, and our future. Professor, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I uh, hope you'll join us uh, tomorrow. We're going to have some very interesting guests. Uh, Keith Laws, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance, 
We'll continue our discussion about increasing the, the quality of education here in Florida. We'll also visit with Doug Lewis. Doug is an attorney here in town and also uh, has some interesting ideas that might be helpful to all of us over this holy weekend. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, as well as Naples' previous mayor, mayor, now for the past week, he's been out of office, and that'll be Bill Barnett. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>